Do you find it easy to love people who don't love you? Yeah, it's so easy to love people who hate us and hurt us, right? No, it's not easy. Why there are so many church splits? I know a church in town, not going to name the name. It was a big church, used to be a big church. And now it has birthed five other churches through church split. Why so many church splits? Why so many broken relationships? I'm not talking about the people outside the church. I'm talking about the people inside the church. Why so many broken marriages, broken families, broken parent-child relationships? It is a declaration of the believers that they cannot love the people who don't deserve it. It's a declaration that we cannot, we should not, and we will not love the people who have hurt us. They don't deserve it, so why should we love them? Today's text is a jam for that problem. It is a remedy to solve that declaration that we cannot love those who hated us. We cannot love the people who are undeserving. We cannot love the people who are unlovable. So today's text says, we must love others who are undeserving and un unlovable because God loved us who are undeserving and unlovable. Let's get to the text, verse 7 and verse 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, and for, for God is love. This is point number one. We must love because God is love. We must love each other because we are born of God. This verse 7 again. Beloved, let us love one another. Why? For God, I'm sorry, for love is from God. So John's arguments in this first letter are quite simple. In chapter 1, he argued that because God is light and in him there's no darkness at all, if we say that we have fellowship with God, we will walk in the light just as he is in the light. Because God is light, if we walk with him who is light, we will also walk in that light. In the same way, John argues in today's text that because we are born of God, from whom love overflows, we must love each other. Love among Christian believers is a non-negotiable necessity in the household of faith. Everyone who has faith in Jesus is born of God, and everyone who is born of God by nature loves. Thus, John Calvin aptly said, If anyone separates faith from love, it is as if he were trying to take away heat from the sun. A beautiful day. You are sitting, standing in the middle of the sunlight. And you see the light, but you don't feel the heat. 
Is that the sun? Oh, that's the fake one. I don't know how, but it's a fake one. It doesn't have a heat. I'm cold, but it's bright outside. So, you see, we say we are of God. We are born of God, and we don't love. We're fake. We're fake. As the sun is fake without heat. What would be a logical conclusion if we don't love then? The conclusion would be that we don't belong to God at all. This is not my argument. This is John's argument. Those who do not love do not belong to God because he is love. That's letter B. Those who love, do not love do not belong to God because God is love. Verse 8, John says, He who doesn't love does not know God, for God is love. The fact that we love is an indication that we are born of God and we know God. But if we don't love, it will be an indication that we are not born of God and do not know God. Let's go to chapter 3, verse 10. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. You see the distinction here between the children of God and the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. John says, if you don't love, you have a father who is not above, but is below the devil. John 3, 14, 1 John 4, 3, 14, we know that we have passed from death to life. How can we know? Because we love the brothers. How do you know that you have life? You're not you're no longer under the, the reign of death? Because you love brothers. He who does not love, his brother abides in where? The reign of death. Again, chapter 4, verses 19 through 21. We love Actually, the King James says we love him, but in Greek, there's no him. We love because he first loved us. If someone, someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has not seen, uh, who has, whom has, he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. There's no other way to interpret John other than saying, if we don't love, we don't belong to God. Don't tell me I am cruel saying that. Because that's what God is telling us this morning. These verses indicate that to, to fail in loving others is not merely to fail in a small matter. One commentator said it is to fail in the whole matter of salvation. I think she's right. And another commentator said this, lovelessness is godlessness and proves one's inability to grasp and understand God. Here, John's amazing statement, God is love, deserves a special, a very special attention. For John, love is not merely one among many attributes of God, but it's a very epicenter. This is the, the center of centers of God's attributes which distinguish, distinguishes the God of the Bible from all other religions and all other gods. Unlike other gods, the God of the Bible is personal. He builds relationship with his creations. But the deism, the deist, believe in a God who created the world with a mechanism and then God just lets it go, never interacts with the created world. 
But the God of the Bible is not the deist God. God always builds a personal relationship with His creation by loving them. God, the God of the Bible is not like a God of pantheism. Pantheism is a belief that God and the universe are the same things. A pantheist believes that everything that exists is a part of God, and that or that God is a part of everything that exists. So for them, this is part of God. This is part of God. I am part of God, but their God is purely impersonal. You cannot interact with their God. But the God of the Bible says he interacts with his own creation. And unlike other gods, the God of the Bible is loving. I know we have many Indians in our town. Have you considered the nature of gods of Hinduism? Hindu gods only love people when people love them first. Their, their, their gods require Hindus to prove their loveliness, that the, they are lovable so that they can love them. Hindu gods actually never forgive sins. Have you, have you noticed that? There's no concept of forgiveness in Hinduism because it's all karma, right? If you did something wrong, you deserve a punishment according to it. So they don't teach really the forgiveness of sins. If you've done something wrong, you bear the consequence. And the God of the Bible is unlike Allah, the God of Quran. To be loved by Allah, Muslims have to prove themselves to be lovable. Allah has 99 names or titles in the Quran. He's named and titled with many ideas. But he never once named as the father of Muslims. But John says, chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father, our God, the God of the Bible, has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Unlike other gods, God first loved us before we loved him. God was loved even before he created humanity. Have you thought about this? And it's a little bit of, a little bit philosophical, but it's worth our time and effort to think about before creation. The Bible says God is love. Then many people think God created humanity because he didn't have an object of his love. If you follow this logic, the conclusion would be this. Before he created humanity, it was not love. How can you love without an object of love? Right? So that argument should be thrown out the window. Right? God was love even before he created humanity. How can we understand this truth? The doctrine of Trinity. There is an interpersonal love among the three persons of the triune God. So John 17, 24, the Lord said, For you, Father, loved me before the foundation of the world. So how could John say God is love even with the idea that there was no humanity? Even before he created angels, God was still love. How could he say that? Because the Father loved the Son. The Son loved the Father. 
The Father loved the Spirit. The Spirit loved the Father. The Son loved the Spirit. And the Spirit loved the Son. The most striking truth about God's love to us is that He shared this Trinitarian love among the three persons of the Trinity with us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The same chapter, John chapter 17, 23, the Lord also said, you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Do you, Some of you think that I'm a little crazy because sometimes I'm crazy. But let me tell you why I'm crazy. This truth has driven me crazy. When I, when I first became really uh, insane about God, about the Bible, about the love of God, and you know, sharing the gospel with people, even my parents couldn't handle it, who are Christians, obviously. I'm crazy because I'm addicted to this love. You know, when you're addicted to something, one feature of that addiction is this. You can't be satisfied except for that thing that you're addicted to. So when I got addicted to this love, nothing could satisfy my heart. And anything that addicted me became nothing to my taste. Because this love, the Father loved the Son forever from eternity. And the same kind of love is given to me. I thought God loved me, yes, but he was, his love to me is a little lesser than his love to the Son. But the Lord said, you have loved them who believe in me just like you have loved me in John 17. That just broke me into pieces. And I had to rebuild myself from scratch. This just turned my worldview upside down. If he loved me that way, then I got to do something about it. That's what John is talking about. I have a question for you. How do you know then that the father loved you just like he loved his son? Let's look at verse 9. In this, the love of God was manifest toward us, that God has sent his son, his only begotten son, into the world, that we might live through him. God's love was demonstrated in the Father sending his son into the world. This letter A. So the point number two, I'm sorry, I missed point number two. Point number two is this, God loved us unconditionally. And this unconditional love between the Father and the Son is given to us. How do we know? Because the Father sent his Son to die on the cross for us. Simply put, God's love is shown in the gospel message concerning Jesus Christ. And this gospel message is about what the Father has done through his Son to give us life. Look at the way God demonstrated his love to us. He didn't love us with words only. He showed his love to us by taking an action, the sending of his son to, the, to us. More importantly, this act of love cost him the most precious of all. What did it cost? The father in loving us. The very life of his one and only son 
whom he loved dearly. If God gave his son and his one and only son to us, he gave all things that belonged to him. That's what Paul says, Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? If the father gave his own son for other people, it means he has given everything that belonged to him already. And so many of us complaining, whining, God doesn't love me. Why? Because my life's so miserable. My health is failing. I got laid off at work. The relationships I have with people are just breaking apart. So why should I say God still loves me? So many Christians reason that way. But the way God demonstrates his love is different from their thoughts. Whether God loves us or not doesn't depend on what is happening in our lives today. Can I say it again? Whether God loves us or not doesn't depend on what's happening in your life today. Or even what you feel about your life doesn't matter when it comes to God's love to you. God's love to you depends on what already happened, what already historically happened on a hill outside Jerusalem about 2,000 years ago. It doesn't matter how you feel about your life. God already demonstrated his love to you by nailing his son to the cross. So John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What matters is not what you feel but what you believe. When you genuinely believe the gospel message that the sinless son of God died in your place because of God's love to you, you will genuinely feel his love in your heart. Remember, it is not you who generate this feeling in your heart. Let's go to Romans 5. Romans 5, the Apostle Paul says in verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So by faith, we are justified apart from works. What is the result? Let's look at verse 5. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been shed abroad, poured out in our hearts by who? By the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So many people don't feel loved by God because they want to experience God's love by external reality. Their status in society, the, the amount of money in their account, the kind of health they have, kind of family they have, kind of house they have, kind of car they run, kind of education they've got. But God says, you will never be able to feel God's love if you pursue God's love through that direction. But it can be only felt by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I can tell you from my experience, 
you have to experience this, this, this event that the Holy Spirit pours buckets of God's love in your heart because you believe the gospel that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to the world to die for your sins. What's more amazing about God's love to us is that it was offered to us unconditionally. That's letter B. God's love was demonstrated to us who are undeserving and unlovable. Verse 10, John says, In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Who loved first, God or us? It was God who first loved us. When we didn't love him, he loved us and demonstrated this love by sending his own son for us. Just Jesus came to the world not only to become one of us, but also to die for us. He became an appeasing sacrifice to life, the, to, to relieve or lift the wrath of God from us and to make us the object of his love. Did we deserve this amazing love of God? Did we? Did God love us because we were lovable? Was there anything in us appealing to God to love us? Absolutely nothing. There was no reason for God to love us, but he had every reason to condemn us to eternal hell. What were you when God first loved you? Were you, you were part of the world that actively opposes the kingdom of God. We were the children of the devil who sincerely desires to destroy God if possible. In Romans 5, Paul says that we were weak, ungodly sinners and enemies of God. And at that very moment, God demonstrated his love to his enemies, his, the sinners, by sending his son to the world. How could God love us who didn't deserve his love and had nothing to love about? The only reason is this. Because God is love. His love to his people is unconditional. There was nothing we could do to make God love us. And there's nothing we can do to stop him from loving us. That's Romans 8.35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Verse 38. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me tell you this again. Nothing matters. What, what's happening in your life doesn't matter. What you feel about your life doesn't matter. This truth matters. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. How should we respond then to this amazing and unconditional love of God? Let's look at verse 11. Beloved, coming back to 1 John 4, 11. Beloved, if, you, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So because God loved us unconditionally, point number three, we must love each other 
unconditionally. Because of God's love to us, we are obligated to love, love others who are undeserving and unlovable. Letter A. Because of God's unconditional love to us, we are obligated to love others who are undeserving and unlovable. Our reasonable response to God's unconditional love is that we also love each other unconditionally. Our natural tendency is to love those who love us and hate those who hate us. But the Christian life must be a life that runs counter to this natural tendency. How was God supposed to treat us when we were ungodly sinners who actively opposed him as the children of the devil? Eternal punishment. But what love and grace has he shown to us? We must show the same love and grace to others, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. But here I want you to understand that this lovely, uh, brotherly love is not something we can generate on our own. Based on Paul's miraculous transformation, I recently preached that God's grace doesn't only pardon our sins, but also transforms us into a new man. God didn't only pardon Saul, the persecutor of the church, but also transformed him to be a lover of the church. Some of you might remember what I preached a few weeks ago. In 1 John, the Apostle John argues similarly about God's love. When we receive God's love, this love transforms us from loving I'm sorry, unloving children of the devil into loving children of God. So chapter 3 again, 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. But whoever, on the other hand, is born of God, we love, right? That's the argument that John is saying here. Chapter, nine, uh, chapter 4, verse 19 again, we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. Don't get, this, don't get this order wrong. We can never love God or anyone until we are first loved by God. You know, I've said it many times, but let me say it again. The worldly philosophy trapped into the church is this. You will never be able to love others until you love yourselves. That's a devil's lie. You will never be able to love others when you love yourselves. You will only love yourselves until your death. Well, how can you love others? By being loved by God. This is not something you can do yourselves. You have to be enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit who's pouring the buckets of love on your heart. And when you fill your heart with that love, God's love will overflow your heart and will affect and influence other people around you. We can never love God on our own, but we must also affirm the truth that once God's love is embraced by faith, this love will and must be expressed by brotherly love. That's why John could boldly say the following verses. Chapter 4, verse 20. If someone says, I love God and hate his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has sinned, how can he love God whom he has not sinned? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, it's not an option. 
you can't choose whether you're going to love the person who's a little weird, the person who just said something, what? The person who didn't greet you when you come in, walk in, the person who ignored you. You have no option to reject that person. Why? Because you have already embraced the love of God into your heart. The fruit of God's unconditional love to us is our unconditional love for others. God's command to love one another is not just about being nice and friendly to each other. Our love for each other must resemble the love of God shown to us through the sacrificial death of His Son. The way God expects us to love one another is not different from the way He expected His Son to love sinners. So John 15, 12 the Lord Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. How did God love us? He laid down his son's life for us. And how should we love each other? We must lay down our lives for one another. And you say, I love someone, and you can't do anything about that person. So, 1 John 3.16, the Apostle John says, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, isn't it interesting? He shuts up. His account, bank account, but John says he shuts up his heart. How does the love of God abide in you? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Why? Because Christ has done it for us. So our love, let it be, our love for each other makes evident the existence of the invisible God. Let's look at verse 12 again. Verse 12, no one has seen God at any time. Is there any person here in this room has seen God in his or her eyes? I can tell you this. If someone says, I've seen God or I've seen Christ, you can just ignore that person. <laughs> the Bible says no one has seen God. Of course, Christ is a little different, but no one has seen God. But does that mean that God doesn't exist. We can't see him, so he doesn't exist. Actually, Ariana recently asked me, Dad, I know there's God, but why can't I not see him? I want to see him. So I, what I told her, you didn't, do you know what I told her? Look at the cross, Ariana. You see God there. How can we make evident the existence of God who is invisible? Let me give you a little sad illustration. I'm sorry, Lily. I'm going to kill you in this illustration. Let's say that my house was set on fire and burned to the ground while she was in it. And then while I was away from home with my children to play at the playground. Sadly, she was gone in the fire and she died in it. And let's also say that everything that proves her life's Existence, gone. Her body, her pictures, her phones, 
her computers, everything. I don't have any, let's say I have no picture of her, nothing. Now she's gone. She was gone, and everything that could prove her existence was gone also. And now let's say one day people who have never met my wife before began to doubt her former existence. They wonder, how could you not have even a picture of your former wife if she truly existed? What can I tell them? What can I show them? I can show them my children. The result of our love. Again, what is the fruit of God's love to us? The fruit of, of, of our love is our children, Ariana and Silas. Then what is the fruit of God's love to us? Our love for each other. So the world doesn't have to see God with their eyes. Why? Because they can see God through our love for each other. By loving each other unconditionally, we can testify to the world the existence of the invisible God who transformed us from selfish sinners into selfless, loving saints. That transformation will testify to the world the invisible God truly exists. Moreover, when we love each other just as the Lord Jesus loved us, the world will know that we are his disciples. John 13, 34, the Lord said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Verse 35, by this all will know. All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Do you want to prove God's existence to the world? Do you want to prove your faithful followership of Jesus Christ, toward Jesus Christ? It's one thing you can do. Love in a crazy way. Let the world know you are crazy about God's love and about brotherly love. Let us see. Our love for each other fulfills the purpose of, our, of God's love to us. Verse 12b. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. Why did God first love us? It was to transform us into his children who love him back out of sincere thankfulness and gratitude. Do you love God? Then how can you express your love to God? By loving others. Strikingly, our love for God demonstrated in our love for each other, perfect, John says, or completes God's love in us. So again, he says, we love one another. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. In other words, our love for each other based on God's love is, to, is fulfilled, it fulfills the purpose of God's love to us. Moreover, our love for God that, that is demonstrated, our love for each other, fulfills the double love commandments the Lord Jesus gave us as the principle on which the entire scripture depends. So Matthew 22, 36 through 40, the Lord said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The entire scripture, the entire truth of the scripture depends on these two commandments. Love God 
and love others. Further, when we fulfill the command to love each other, we experience God's presence in us. Again, 12, verse 12, John said, if we love one another, God abides in us. Do you truly desire to fully experience God's presence in your life? You can experience it by genuinely loving other people. That's a proof that God is with you. This is something that you couldn't do on your own before. But now you can love. Why? Because God is abiding with you. God's love is being perfected in your heart. Genuine love for each other that proves God's abiding us in us must follow the example of God's unconditional love to us. When God loved us, he didn't decide to love us because we had any worth or beauty. Yet he decided to love us anyway. If you ask me why God loved me, the only answer I can give you is this. I don't know. I've thought about it a long time. Why did God love me? If I were God, I would not love me. Because I knew, I would know that I would continue to sin against him even after saving me. I would continue to do horrible things even as a child of God. How could I love me when I knew who I was? But God loved me anyway, and I have no idea why he did Can I tell you this? Some people say, you know, we'll all know when we get to heaven. That's not true. We will never know why he loved me. We will never know why he loved us. There's no reason. It's unconditional love. There's no condition. He just chose to love us. That's it. That's why we call him love. There's no cause in him that made him love us except that he is love. This is the most amazing truth. I'm, I'm saying not one of the most truth, amazing, amazing truths. This is the most amazing truth about Christianity. There's no reason God has to love us, but he loves us anyway. I don't really know why God chose me to be an object of his love, but there's one thing I know about his love to me. He loved me because he wanted me to love you in the same way he loved me. That's one thing I know from today's text. So here's a thesis again, the thesis of today's message. We must love others who are undeserving and unlovable. Why? Because God loved us who are undeserving and unlovable. So there are many ways we can love each other, but I just want to emphasize this one thing that you must do when you love someone unconditionally. How do we know that God loved us unconditionally? We know it because he has forgiven us of all our sins. Did we deserve that forgiveness? Did we do anything to contribute to God's forgiving us? No, nothing. We did nothing to cause God to love and forgive us. So now I want to examine, I want you to examine your hearts this morning. Is there anyone or any people you are holding grudge against? You might feel that you can't possibly forgive them because what they have done to you was so horrific and hurtful. 
If you have this kind of unforgiving heart, even in the slightest sense, I want to ask you this question. Have you counted the number of sins you have committed against God? Or I can ask you another question. Have you fathomed the depth of your sinful heart toward God? Or another question. question. Have you meditated on what you deserved from God as an abominable, detestable, rebellious sinner? I want to ask you the last but not the least question. How did God treat you and me when we all deserved? What, what, I'm sorry. How, let, me, let me do it again. How did God treat us when all we deserved was eternal hellfire? Think, please. What did he do when we deserved, all we deserved was hellfire? I hope you find a remedy to your unforgiving heart in this truth. There's no other remedy except for this. To heal your unforgiving heart toward your siblings, toward your spouse, toward your parents, toward the, the, the brothers and sisters in Christ, toward your pastor, towards anyone who might have hurt you in your life. There's only one remedy to heal your unforgiving heart, the love of God for you. Don't wait until the people who hurt you make themselves forgivable. They will never do that. We must first love others before they love us because God first loved us before we loved him. It's a very simple truth. <sighs> Easier said than done, right? But it is not really hard. And to know why it's not that hard, you need to come back tonight. We're going to look at John 5, well, 1 John 5, and talk about faith, the nature of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what it does to us. And it's going to help you. So please come back. If you, have a, if you have a hard time obeying God's commandments, come back. God is going to help you. Let's pray. Precious Father, thank you so much for your love to us. Lord, you know my sincere heart. So many of us, as believers, are so unloving. Lord, I am unloving in many ways to my wife, to my children, to my parents, to my pastor, to my people. Christ the Father, help us to let this truth sink in our hearts. You have already done it for us. It is now our turn to do it again to others. Thank you so much, Lord, that you loved us. Anyway, despite all the obstacles, 
we will never know why you loved us. But one thing we know is you love us. Please grip our hearts with this love. Some of us don't feel your love in in their hearts. Please, Lord, pour the buckets of love into their hearts today, this morning, this very moment. Not because what's happening in their lives. Not because what they feel about their lives. But because only because the crucifixion of your, your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Gracious Father, help our church to be a loving church. Not with lip service, but in action and truth. Help us not to shut out our hearts from each other. But help, help us to open our hearts wide to each other. Not because we, are, we deserve love from one another. Not because we are lovable. But because you have loved us who are undeserving and unlovable. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You're dismissed.